Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. It's a privilege to be with you today. I'm Doug, the lead pastor here at Parkview, and it's an honor to celebrate moms today. So there are three moms especially dear in my life. So my mom is in Des Moines area today watching live stream. So hey mom. And I'm just very thankful for a godly mom who has had a love for God's word and um, a love for her son, the prayers that she's offered up for me, the ways that she has served me throughout my life. Very blessed man. Last hour, my mother-in-law was here, so she is sitting right over there, had her stand, she refused to stand. But um, as a, as a well, if you know my mother-in-law, Joan, just a godly woman who loves to pray for people, and, and I've seen the life firsthand that she has infused into her daughter, who is my favorite mom, my, my wife, Lori, my teammate, um, and I, I get front row seat of just watching her lay down her life day in and day out, not just for me, but for our kids as well. So, and we're trying to celebrate Mother's Day this weekend. Have you noticed, especially if you have older kids, like in high school, all the things that get crammed into this weekend, soccer tournaments, baseball tournaments, prom was last night. And so we've got some girls waking up in the second level of our, in the basement of our, our home today. So my wife is doing nails and makeup and hair and taking pictures and all that. It's supposed to be her weekend, right? To be off. And she's as on as any other weekend that a mom can be. So, um, but just here to honor moms today. And again, I just want to also reiterate what Sharon said. We also know that for some, this isn't a day to celebrate. This is a day of mourning and, and sadness for a variety of reasons that when you mention motherhood, there's a lot of hard things that come up as well from many different angles. And so um, I'll be honest with you, um, a few weeks ago when it was laying out, like we're doing the Beatitudes and blessed are those who mourn landed on Mother's Day. It's like, oh, are you serious? Like that sounds like a downer. That sounds heavy to talk about mourning on Mother's Day. And actually when I started getting into this verse and into this concept, this is a beautiful morning to talk about mourning. And so, because um, what you see in the life of Jesus, and the reason we're here to worship him some 2,000 years after he lived, is that Jesus said that he came that we might have life and life to the full. There's an abundant life that Jesus wants to offer every one of us. And so when you study his teaching, you see kind of the gateway into the life that Jesus wants us to have. And so when we study the Beatitudes, these are a list of eight statements that Jesus made at the beginning of, of the longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And these are eight statements about how we can be truly blessed in this life, how we can really live the good life, the abundant life that Jesus came for us to live, all right? So if you could stand with me, we're gonna read these eight statements just so you get a feel for what Jesus taught, and then we're gonna hone in on the second beatitude. So let's read these together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Great job. You guys can grab a seat. So in initial reading, you read through that list, and there's some things that are countercultural about those statements. For example, mourning. You wouldn't say blessed are those who mourn. But yet the teaching of Jesus kind of flips conventionality on its head. There's a whole new way of doing life that Jesus is uh, introducing us into. And so it's not hard to understand why the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's hard for some people to get their heads around. Like, what do you do with those statements? Some people will say, this is a description of those who qualify to follow Jesus. And I would quickly say that no. Like, there's no one that can live those Beatitudes. Or if you look at this Sermon on the Mount where it says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Like, there is no way the heart of Jesus would be to set a bar so high and then laugh at us as we struggle to try to grunt it out and become those kind of people, okay? So that's not the purpose of the Beatitudes or Sermon on the Mount. Some people will say that that's a description of the way life will be when Jesus comes back and reigns or, or what life will be like in heaven. And so that's true because then the king will be there. But I think there's a greater purpose to those verses in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is offering us this kind of life today, like even in this, in this world. When you look at Matthew chapter 4, it's the chapter right before the Sermon on the Mount. It shows us Jesus' first uh, days in ministry. And the very first sermon that he preached, the first sentence that came out of his mouth was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what he's inviting us into is to repent means to turn around to have a change in mind that means a change in life. He's saying, turn around from doing life your way, change your mind about rejecting God and doing your thing instead of his, and come to him. Let him introduce us to a whole new way of life. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom was at hand because the king was at hand. And so there's a present tense aspect to what Jesus wants to do in our lives today. And that's reflected in the Sermon on the Mount. And will these things be ultimately fulfilled in the kingdom, in eternity? Absolutely yes. But don't ignore what Jesus wants to do today in us as we repent and as we follow him. So, um, so these are really pictures of the life we were created to live. The Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, that as image bearers of God, this is the life God wants us to experience now and today. All right, so, so you say, okay, so then why should we really study the Sermon on the Mount? When you saw that sentence structure, the first word every time was blessed. This is, this is the good life. This is the life you were created to live. So we get around these Beatitudes because it's an amazing life. It's a fulfilled, satisfying life, okay? Second is you look at the promises, that when we read those sentences, there were some great promises on the right side of those sentences, that you will see God that yours is the kingdom of heaven, that you will be comforted. There were some great incentives that I want that kind of life. But then third, there's a real piece here that right after Jesus gave the Beatitudes, he said a verse that you might be familiar with, where he said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and bring glory to God in heaven. Like the way you will have the greatest influence on the people around you, if it's you as a mom with your kids, or you as a dad with your kids, or if it's you with the people and the friends in your life, you'll have the greatest influence on them 
as you follow this life that Jesus is offering you. Like the greatest impact will come as you put these good works on display because they'll be drawn to you. And they, they'll, if, if they're close enough to you, they'll know you didn't do that. They'll know that these things are not from you. I know you too well. Like those, those couldn't be from you. And it'll give you the chance to point them to Jesus and what he can do not only in your life, but in their life as well. So there's a real missional component to the Beatitudes. So that's why we're spending so much time on them. Last week, we started with the first one, was blessed are the poor in spirit. So poor in spirit, we said, was to be just completely honest about our bankruptcy before God, that spiritually, morally, before a holy God, we've got nothing. Like we are bankrupt. We have nothing to offer him. And so it's that attitude and that posture that's the gateway beatitude into all the other things that God wants to do in your life. It's got to start there. It's not us coming to God with our credentials. Hey, God, you should take me for your team because look at how good I am. I'm, I'm better than Schillinger, that's for sure, but I'm better than these people. And so we don't come with our credentials. We come with our brokenness and our, our emptiness and our need. And once we're in that posture before God, that's when he can pour his life into us. So blessed are the poor in spirit. There's is the kingdom of God. So that's how you open the door into these. But now the second one, blessed are those who mourn. And again, this, this flips our way of thinking on its head. Like we don't think you're blessed if you mourn. In fact, there were nine words that in Jesus' culture that were used for uh, sadness or mourning or grief. And he picked the one that is the most extreme. Just like last week, there were several words for poverty, and he picked the one that meant absolute bankruptcy. When he, when he had words to choose to describe mourning, he picked the hardest one, the one that was reserved for those who are losing someone close to them, who are, who are grieving the loss of someone they dearly love. It was the word used of the disciples after Jesus died on the cross, that they mourned for him. So Jesus isn't just saying, blessed are those that are kind of having a bad day. He's saying, blessed are those who are going through the most intense mourning that you can imagine. Again, it makes no sense because we live in a culture that does everything it can to cover over hardship or to kind of, let's not talk about the hard things in our life or let's not deal with the mourning, the kind of hard things in our life. Let's, let's cover those over. Let's put on a a positive face. Let's put on a smile. Let's put on a positive online profile of ourselves. Let's not be honest about the hurt uh, inside of us. You know, maybe you've noticed it, but if people ask you how you're doing, what are you supposed to say? You're supposed to say, I'm doing great, or I'm doing good, or if you're really struggling, you might say, I'm okay, and most people will just fly right by that. Like, maybe people who really care, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you said okay, not like great. Why? And then they might listen for a little bit, and then they're on, right? So, and, and if you do, sometimes you're around somebody that opens up about a hurt in their life, and sometimes that's kind of an awkward moment in the conversation. Nobody knows what to do with that, or we recoil, or we kind of move away from, okay, sorry I asked, and I'm going to just keep going. Um, there's a guy in my life that I've been befriending the last couple months that has seen uh, I can't imagine the horror that he has seen. In the profession he was in, he was called into some of the darkest moments of what people can do to each other. He just described me a few of them. My heart just was crushed. And so this is a man for the last 10, 15 years of his life has seen that intense uh, just depravity of humanity. And there's been a deep mourning in his life and not knowing what to do with that 
this guy has been covering up the pain of that with opiates. He's a, if you looked at him walking through our foyer, it's a very successful person in his business. Like, he, there would be nothing about him. You go, oh, I bet he's really struggling. And I, I just wonder how much of that is very common. Maybe in this room, maybe in our city, where on the outside things are looking good, but this is a man who is mourning intensely and is, and is battling those, those feelings of mourning with opiates, that this guy is intensely addicted. And I just think of, it may not be opiates, but it may be overworking, it may be porn, it may be alcohol, but just the different ways that instead of dealing with our mourning, we skim, we skim on the surface, we push it down, and we do not deal with, with the mourning in our lives. And Jesus is offering us a completely flipped life where let's deal with this mourning so that there can be, there can be comfort. And so that's, that's the focus uh, that we're going to look at today. And so when you look at the Bible, it's like, what do people mourn? Uh, there's a mourning in general at the condition of our world that um, because of sin and the curse of sin, there's things like death and there's things like accidents and there's things like disease. And so, so there's a general mourning that hits us as we just walk through this life. There's another layer of mourning, too, as you look at the Bible. It's, it's mourning the sin we see in other people. Like sometimes you will be the recipient of that sin. And so you might be rejected or lied to or overlooked or hurt because of the sin in other people. And that, that definitely causes mourning. But also you could have somebody you dearly love and you watch them live their life. And the way that they're living their life is against what God is calling them to do. They're hurting themselves. And so there's a mourning that can come over the sin in other people's lives. And those are definitely scriptural. You see those in the Bible. But I think a third level of mourning that Jesus is getting at here is the mourning that we have about our own sin. I think there's a link between verse 3 and verse 4 that as you're a person who is poor in spirit, like you're admitting before God that you are spiritually bankrupt, that there is sin in your life, that there's a mourning that follows that, a, a regret. Uh, I know as a dad, like those, those times where I feel like my tone with my kids or I'm overly directive with them or I get angry with them, or impatient with them. Like my own failures as a dad can just lead to mourning, but that not just in, as a dad, but throughout my life, I am a sinful man. And the things that I say and the things that I see uh, can lead to just intense mourning. And so, and so what do you do with not just mourning a fallen world or mourning sin in others, but what do we do with our own mourning of our own sin before God? So uh, the scripture shows those. Like, for example, Jesus mourned, let's just call this general mourning, that mourning the condition of the world. Jesus showed us that when he, when he uh, cried, when he wept, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. When Lazarus died, Jesus wept, okay? So that's, that's one example of, of sorrow and of mourning. Um, another example we see in the life of Jesus is that when he mourned the sin of others, when he looked into Jerusalem and he just mourned for the city of Jerusalem and how the people were walking away from God. So there's a natural mourning over the condition of the world. And then um, 2 Corinthians 7.10 paints a picture for us of two other kinds of sorrow that we can have. One is called godly sorrow. One is called worldly sorrow. Let me read that verse to us. It says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay, let's, let's just lay it out. There's two kinds of sorrow. One's good, it leads to repentance and life. The other one is worldly and leads to death. Let's talk about worldly sorrow. And I think these in general deal with how we deal with our own brokenness and our own sin. That worldly sorrow would be sorrow over things like, I'm sad that I got caught, or I'm sad about the consequences that I'm walking through right now. Or I think at a deeper level, I'm sorry that I really can't do that because I actually enjoy that, but now I can't do that because it's a sin. Or God says, no, these are examples of worldly sorrow or a longing to have what other people get to have but I don't get to have. That in, in essence, a worldly sorrow is more of a pity party. It's more of like being sad for ourselves. It's a selfish kind of sadness. But a godly sorrow that 2 Corinthians 7 says that produces righteousness that leads to life is a mourning of our sin and what it does to God, what it does to the heart of God. It's not just thinking about what my sin has done to me, but what does my sin do to a holy God? That's a godly sorrow. Um, and just to understand that God hates my sin and I hate what my sin has done to God. One of the classic examples of this kind of grieving is King David. And what's amazing, if you've not read the Bible much before, is that the heroes of the Bible battle the same kind of sins and temptations that we do. And so one of David's high-profile sins was a time when as king, he was attracted to a beautiful woman who was married to one of his soldiers. And he flew through all the stop signs. He pursued a relationship with that woman, had sex with that woman, and got her pregnant. And instead of repenting of that sin and confessing it, he committed another sin. He murdered uh, to try to cover it up, he murdered her husband and then married her. And so you see this whole pattern of just going away from God. And when David was convicted of this sin, when I used to do youth ministry, our, some of the guys would call it David's big nasty. That when David did the big nasty and he was confronted of that, his response is powerful. There's a whole psalm written on that, Psalm 51. And in verse 4, Psalm 51, David says, God against you, and you only have I sinned. And you read that on the face value, you go, wait a minute, David, you sinned against Bathsheba, you sinned against her husband, you sinned against all of Israel that trusted you as a king. But David said, you know what? And compared to all other griefs and hurt I have caused, I have supremely hurt the heart of God. God against you and you only, you supremely have I sinned. So there's a brokenness before God. And and this is what I think Jesus is after as we mourn our sin because I think what Jesus is after is not making you feel guilty or to make you feel shame, but what Jesus is after is to expose in your heart what is your real love? What do you really love? I think in the American church, we have downplayed God and the holiness of God and we have belittled sin. And so when we don't mourn over our own sin, it's kind of like, whoops, like our sin is an oops. And hey, God, forgive me, right? Fist bump, high five, let's just go on, right? And so that's why I think so many of us are in habitual sin, that, that we're not owning our sin, that there's not a, a heart response to it because I think our heart responds to what we really love. And so I think sometimes latent under some of our shallowness of our confession of repentance to God is a real love for sin. We still really love the sin more than we love God. I think what Paul is after, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 7, when he contrasted godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, 
he painted a picture of what they did, what this group of Christians did when they showed godly sorrow. Listen to what they did. Uh, if I can find it. So, for see what earnestness this godly grief produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal. Paul said, when you showed that true uh, confession, that godly sorrow, and it lit a fire under you to get going and to run hard after God and to truly leave that sin. And so that's, that's the place that Jesus is drawing to. He's trying to expose what do you really love? Because the life he's offering us is one where he is our first love, where he can pour his life into us, where we're not in love with the temporary pleasure of sin, but we're in love with the eternal pleasure of following Jesus and doing what he's calling us to do, okay? So we're gonna take a little time out here, and um, I'm gonna talk to a couple moms over here. So moms, I hope you're both here. You can meet me over here. So on Monday morning, I brought, uh, there's five moms that came in, and sat around the table in my office, and we just talked about, and it was Mother's Day, we talked about this topic of mourning, and so how are we gonna link Mother's Day and mourning today? So it was an amazing conversation, you guys, 45 minutes or an hour, uh, there wasn't a dry eye around the table. Like, it was just a lot of reality, and so let me introduce the moms to you. So on your far right, that's Mary Schrader. She and her husband, Jamie, are raising three boys, three amazing boys. Um, why I'm glad Mary is up here is when I talk to Mary, really about anything, <laughs> uh, I, get, I get good insights. I get new perspectives. And so um, keen insights into the Bible, into following Jesus, just a long track record of discipling people in her life. So I usually leave a conversation with Mary challenged, okay, in a good way. And yet, Mary, what's cool too is that when you talk about your own parenting, you, you, you're in the trenches with the rest of us. Like you're, you're battling and struggling and and you're right there. So I'm so glad you're doing this this morning. So and this is Christy Boyer on my immediate left. Um, let me just throw this out there. Christy builds tree houses and chicken coops. Like, hello. Like, that's like immediately mom rare air, right? So, so moms, you need to start competing with each other and comparing yourselves right away. Like, where's your tree house? Where's your chicken coop? No, I think that is awesome, by the way. But, but I love the way that uh, Matt and Christy parent their kids, that there's a, there's a genuineness about them that when you talk again to Christy about her role as mom, there's, she's not trying to impress or perform in any way. It's just a real, genuine pursuit of being a good mom. So, so it's an honor to have you guys up here. So thanks for doing it. So um, maybe to start with, just throw out, like, what are a couple of the joys of being a mom? Let's go to the joy before we go to the morning, all right? So what do you love about being a mom? One thing that comes uh, to mind right away is I love seeing my kids, like, interact with God's creation. I love animals. I love being outside, all things related to that. And, you know, just watching the girls take care of some baby mice that they found under the lawnmower. I mean, that's gross, but it's beautiful in the way that they want to care for God's creation. Um, and just their silliness. I mean, they make me laugh. Addison has the best giggle. I heard it this morning, and it just makes mm. me smile. They're just always doing fun stuff. That's cool. What did you say, Mary? I was thinking when uh, my kids were younger that it was, you know, first blank. First smile, first hug, first barf session. You know, I mean, you, you look back on that and think, oh, that was so sweet. <laughs> and as they've gotten older, um, what really brings me great joy is when I see them not just do physical firsts, but spiritual firsts. So when they choose to say thank you and they don't have to, when they share right and they feel like oh they don't have enough to share and they still share 
when they look out for each other, when they're thankful, um, that brings great joy. So I wish we had, I wish we could replay the whole conversation we had in my office the other day. We don't have time for that, but I asked these guys to maybe pick like one or two takeaways from our conversations about how moms mourn, like what's the unique part in a mom. And again, we've talked about some of the big ones this morning about, you know, we know, we recognize there's some moms here that may have lost a child. I can't imagine that. Or, or women here this morning that long to be a mom and are not able to for whatever reasons. There's many reasons to mourn, but as these guys were talking, these were some of the day-to-day -day even mornings that can hit uh, all of our hearts, but especially as a mom. So why don't you guys, what, what were a couple of things you remember from that? Yeah, so we were talking about where, where do we mourn our sin as moms, and what comes to my mind right away is just the anger. I don't think I knew it was in me or I was able to cover it up while I was younger and maybe even in my marriage, but man, I, get, I am so quick to anger with my children. I feel like I'm a pretty nice, kind person, but you walk into my house at like 4.45 and you will not see love and kindness being shown to my children always. It is a real, it is a real struggle and it, um, you know, it affects my relationship with them and I have to go and ask their forgiveness often. Um, it affects my relationship with the Lord because it's, I think it's born out of um, a frustration and not being able to control their behavior. And that's not my role. My role is not to control their behavior. It's, it's to just love them unconditionally. Hmm. And when I try to flip that and be like their little manager, instead of you know, putting them in God's hands and trusting him, stuff gets ugly really quick. Yeah. Yeah. So we had our first sports-related head injury not too long ago. And uh, my, my son had a concussion, a broken nose, and multiple broken teeth, which unfortunately, financially, were all permanent teeth. Uh, and so, thankfully, we were all in the car together as a family, and my husband is driving. I'm in the back with Austin, and at one point, he's in pain, and he is confused, and he is scared. And he looks at me, and he says, am I going to die? And my heart just fell. And I just mourned his fear, and I mourned his pain. And, and I, at first, didn't quite know how to answer. So I will save the answer for the comfort part. As we were driving, uh, here's the second part of this trip, my husband um, knows that I know the fastest way to the ED, because I work at the university. And so he's asking, like, where should I go, right? And of course, in, in Coralville and Iowa City, the fastest you can drive is 35 miles an hour, and most of it is actually 25 miles an hour. And so my son is bleeding, he's getting incoherent, his eyes are, his pupils are dilated, his eyes are falling to the back of his head, and I'm just like, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And so my husband's like, you know, what's the best way to get to the ED? And I just, rawr, just, just drive! <laughs> and uh, later, I mourned the greatness of that sin, mm -hmm. which is sometimes, as a mom, your heart is so wrapped up in your children and you love them so much that you can inadvertently turn your husband, who was there before any of your children was there, into a helper, into a roommate, into even the enemy, right? Because you're here comforting your child and he's just trying to be helpful and you're yelling at him and, you know, just, just drive, drive faster, right? And it was 
awful. It was so ugly because, Lord willing, my kids will leave one day. They will grow up and flee the nest, and my husband will still be there. So, <laughs> you guys have done great. Um, so, I should just leave and let them keep talking. Uh, that was a, it's, it's a glimpse of the kind of things we were talking about Monday. And um, so, we're, 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 let's go to the comfort side of things. So, what were some places we said were healthy to go to to find comfort? in our own morning here. So I have a relationship with Christ, like a real relationship with um, the God that created the universe. And we can pray to him, we can talk to him. So I do. So I take my anger to him, I confess mm. it, mm. I ask his forgiveness. And then I think it's almost a daily, like loosening my grip on my kids, on my family, and their futures, and just handing it back. Mm. Um, and there's real peace and rest in that. Mm. Um, and I feel better after I do that. And mm. there's, you know, Bible's full of promises about you, you take your burdens to me yeah. um, and I will take them on. And then the um, second way we talked a lot about on Monday was um, just living in true community with the believers around you. And what that looks like in this instance for me is me getting over my pride, getting over myself, and being honest with the women and the mothers around me about what I'm struggling with. Yeah. You know, telling them, I have lost it with my kids, not just this week, but several days last week, and this whole month has been rough, and will you pray for me? Mm. Um, and every time, you know, I get great wisdom offered to me from these women, they will pray with me, or just someone to come alongside and say, hey, I had a really hard time with that too, especially when my kids were the ages yours were, you know, and here's what helped our family, mm. here's what helped mm. me. But you don't get any That's of great. that if you're not willing to be honest and, yeah. and share where you're struggling. That's great. So for me, um, it was time or the lack thereof. So when my son asked me, am I going to die? I thought, you know, the body that you're concerned about right now, the one that hurts so bad, that is going to die. Whether that is today or 40 years from now or, or whatever, right? That body is going to die. And that actually is your comfort. Because if that physical body does not die, then you will not have a resurrected body, one that is free of pain and sin and death. So, you know, at the time, my heart was breaking Right? And I probably said something silly like, of course you're not going to die. <laughs> but that is our true comfort, that the physical body will die. And his spirit, which is timeless, which is eternal, that will not die. Mm. And that is his comfort. Yeah. The other one, where I yelled terribly loud at my husband <laughs> to find the quickest way to UIHCED, uh, that one is also my comfort of time. Thankfully, I'm not dead yet, and I have time and the Holy Spirit to develop in me the fruit of the Spirit so that God gives me more opportunities to uh, choose self-control or to choose patience or to choose kindness to my children and to my husband. The other thing that happened afterwards is uh, we found that a lot of people were praying for us and our, our children. People I didn't even know that knew about it. That's what I love about the body of Christ. Um, so many people prayed so that my son's recovery has been, I think, 
quite miraculous given the extent of the injuries. Um, and then also, Christy actually, one of her love languages is gifts. She gave Austin a bag um, with his very first new baseball cards, <laughs> which I think is a double-edged sword because now he's gonna want baseball cards because uh, mm -hmm. she didn't buy us all the baseball cards in the world. <laughs> and, and so, right, so the body of Christ praying for us yeah. and loving us and caring for us and asking about how we're doing, that has been a great comfort. Yeah, thank you. And that was a glimpse of what we talked about the other day. Let me just pray just out of this, pray for this. Uh, yeah, Lord, I do thank you for Mary and Christy just being willing to open up. And um, we just caught a glimpse of, we could have gone on and on about the various ways uh, that we can both experience joy, but also mourning as parents, as people, uh, as moms here. And so I thank you that you are our comfort. And now as we open up your word and look at how you comfort us, just pray you would do that in this room, God. Again, there are a variety of hurts, a variety of mourning. Uh, but would you apply the powerful truth of how you love to comfort us? So thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? So they did a great job. <clears throat> so yeah, let's talk about how we'll be comforted. That was the end of the beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's a promise from King Jesus. And so when you look at the Bible, the Bible is full of verses of comfort. Let's start here. There's a comfort that comes from God himself. He's the God of comfort. Let me give you a couple of verses. Isaiah 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. What a beautiful picture. I don't know what your image of God is this morning, but he wants to be known as a God who reflects a mother's heart in caring for you when you hurt. Uh, look, at, look at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So that's, that's an amazing promise. I like to think of God as a vast warehouse of every kind of comfort imaginable. So when you're going through any kind of hurt or pain, he's got the perfect remedy. He's got the perfect comfort that you need. There will never be a situation in your life where you are struggling or mourning and you'll cry out to God and he'll go, man, I just don't have anything for you. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm clean out in that kind of comfort. He's the God, the superlatives, any kind of comfort that you need, he has for every situation you are going through. That's the kind of God that we serve and the kind of God that we love. In fact, he is at work now restoring and uh, re redeeming this sin-cursed world. And so his end project, his end goal is pictured in Revelation 21.4, where it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And it may seem to us that we have cried out and we've asked for comfort. That is the end game. He removes every hurt. He wipes away every tear. But in the process, in the journey, look at this promise, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you are in mourning, you don't run from God, but you run to God. And he is a God who is acquainted with grief. He is a, gr a God who understands suffering. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But God has not abandoned you. Draw near to him and let him comfort you. Run to God because God, he's a God of all comfort. Second, there's comfort in the gospel that when we're confronted with our own sin and our brokenness, 
and we mourn. Again, we don't run from God in shame or fear, but we run to God. One of the prime examples of that is in Romans chapter 7. It was written by Paul, again, another rock star in the Bible. Like Paul wrote half the New Testament, one of the godliest men that's ever lived, all right? And look what he says in, in Romans chapter 7. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like in that chapter, Paul opens up that, man, I want to do what's right, but I, I sin. I want to follow God, but I do things that I don't want to do. And so he's very open about his own battle to do what is right and to not sin. And so his conclusion is, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then the next verse, he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, he, Jesus is our hope and, and the gospel is our hope that God our Father moved into our mourning over our sin by sending his own son to step into our sin. That Jesus, the sinless son of God, gave his life for us. And so for the father to see his son go through that, there was intense mourning. Just listen to some of the descriptions of what Jesus uh, has done for us. That even though he never sinned, he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. That the punishment that fell on him brought us peace. And so the father, that was his plan. And the father saw all that pain that his son went through. God is acquainted with your grief. Jesus is acquainted with your sorrow. And through the gospel, Jesus says, let's turn your mourning into joy. Let's take your sin, the most amazing offer you've ever been given, is that you give God your sin and your brokenness, and then you have Jesus who died on the cross for that sin. He takes your sin. He takes the penalty you deserve for that sin, and he gives you his life. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you new life, and he gives you a new identity that you are not the failure who continues to sin, but you stand before God now as God's son or daughter, loved by God, standing in the righteousness of Jesus, not in the power of your own performance, all right? And so the gospel brings, brings amazing liberation from our mourning over our sin. Isaiah 61 was a prophecy about what Jesus would come to do. And when Jesus started his public ministry, he quoted it. And he said, this is who I am. This is what I have come to do. Listen to what it says. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for all who grieve in Zion, to, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's what Jesus came to do, is to die for our sins and to give us a new life. And so that's the comfort of the gospel. And so third is the comfort of the body of Christ, the comfort of the church, that what Jesus would love to, to create in our midst is a group of people who don't have to pretend to be perfect, they don't have to pretend to be religious or just slap on the happy face, but to be a community of people that can be broken and honest about our sins. And so then when we're in community, like you heard Christy and Mary talk about it, 
I, I heard those women talk about it in my office on Monday, that they were secure enough in their identity in Christ that they could be honest about their brokenness, that they can share their struggles as a mom. And instead of looking down on each other or, or, or just thinking, I'm better than you, I'm glad you shared that because now I feel better about me, that we're a community of people coming in similarly broken before God, poor in spirit, and instead of looking down on each other, looking across with each other and pointing each other to the gospel, pointing each other to the hope we have in Jesus uh, so that we're not mourning alone, but that we're coming together, that that's, that's God's desire is to produce that kind of culture in our church. This isn't a place where religious people show up and try to show each other how good they are. <laughs> that's sick, right? We need to be the exact opposite. We've got to be honest. This is a room filled with sinful, broken people who have no hope other than that God is merciful with us, and he has shown that mercy through the gospel. So we're a group of people who can be genuine and real with each other, and as we share our brokenness, point each other to the hope that we have in the gospel. Let me ask if you are uh, married to, if you are with a mom of your children this morning, could you stand up? Because I want to give you a challenge this morning, okay? So like if my wife was here this morning, I'd be standing up with her, okay? So guys, listen to this. Guys, listen to this. You are called on this Mother's Day to bring comfort to your wife by reminding her of the gospel, that she does not have to be the perfect mom, that God is not calling her to be into perfection, but God is calling her to be faithful. And it's your job to spot the things that she's doing well that are so beautiful, the things that you've been taking for granted, that I've been taking for granted, just day after day, the way they serve and care and love. And it's your job to support her it is a difficult time to be a mom. She is not going to get encouragement from many other places. If she goes online, she's going to see how awesome every other mom is, and her message to herself is like, I suck. Like, that's what she's going to hear, okay? She's going to beat herself up. And so we are frontline in encouraging the moms in our lives, okay? Men, let's do that. Let's encourage them and point them to the gospel. Now, let's all stand up, because we all have a calling to do the same thing to each other. Okay, can you look around the room and say to the person on your right and left, you're not perfect. Okay, just say that. Just say that to them. You're not perfect. All right. Hey, 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 that's all I said. Don't go, don't elaborate. Don't elaborate. I just said, don't just say you're not perfect, all right? That's it, okay? But say this too. Next, say, and I'm not either. And I'm not either. Okay? And then say this. And then say this, and we both need Jesus. We both need Jesus. So church, we have that calling for each other. Stop pretending. Just be real. And we all need Jesus, right? What a healthier place this would be if we don't hide and pretend that we have sin. But we're honest, and we point each other to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for the powerful truth of that short statement. That first I read, I said, no way, preach that on Mother's Day. But I thank you that it is true that blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. God, I thank you that you're the God of all comfort. Whatever the greatest hurt in this room is this morning, you can handle that. You've got a comfort for that. So God, whoever that person is this morning, may they run to you, not from you. May they find you to be the God of all comfort. God, whatever the smallest, whatever the smallest hurt is in this room, that's nothing for you. So God, with that person, not just think they can handle it, but that person take it to the God of all comfort. And before we close today, could you just, just do that to God? Just, what is your greatest hurt this morning? 
What are you mourning about the most? Can you just give that to God right now? Just, just give it to him. God, may the things we talked about today not just be words on a page or words that were spoken, but may we truly live what you've just taught us. Set us free from our mourning. Give us comfort and give us joy and help us to walk through this together. God, we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.